Welcome to Calvary Chapel Sebastian Podcast. We hope that you're blessed by this message. I want to welcome everyone here tonight and everyone listening on our podcast channel. Um, thank you for being here. Um, and last week, you know, Israel's exodus was a very important lesson to them. And it talked about uh, how they were going to uh, talk about God's guidance and his goodness in their lives. And this week, you know, I look at the time and I have 30 minutes. And, you know, I, I looked at the text and it's like, there's 31 verses here. Yeah, and then it, it reminded me back to when Pastor Dave was saying, i got to cover all ten of these plagues tonight. And I'm thinking, well, who's, signing, who's assigning these texts? It's me. So bear with me. Hopefully we're going to get through this pretty quick tonight. So um, if I rush, I apologize, but I want to kind of get you guys out on time, though. Now I actually... 29 minutes left so all right so if you have your bibles let's open them up to exodus 14 verse 1 and we're going to hear we're from uh this is the lord saying to moses it says this the lord said to moses tell the israelites to turn back and encamp at pi harathon between magal and the sea they are to encamp by the sea directly opposite bel zephon Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert. Well, Pyrethon stands for a mouth or a gorge, and Magdal was, means a tower. So they're in this area here. God had directed these, his people to this area, this camp, this cavernous mountain area. And it could have been a mighty fortress for an army. But the one thing is their backs were to the sea. Their backs were to the sea. This doesn't seem like a very wise decision or very wise choice at all. But if the Egyptians were to pursue them, they'd be sitting ducks because they would have no place to go. Escape would be impossible but God but God had a strategy now we're given another reason why God selected this route for his people to take the reports to Pharaoh would convince him that the Jewish people were wandering around like lost sheep in the wilderness and they were going to be easy to pursue and capture. But there's one thing when we say, but God, but God always has a plan and a purpose for our lives. And he had a plan and purpose for them as well. God is so faithful, he will always give us an escape. He will always give us a way out. He will always provide for us so that we can endure. Our Lord was working all of this, just like he does in our lives, every little thing for his glory. And that strength is for today, but it's also for the great hope of tomorrow. God works all these things for his glory. 
And then in verse 4 it says, And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, but I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. It's important because he wanted them to know that I am the Lord. Now, God hardens his heart. But Pharaoh had to have known who the one true God was by now. Don't you think? Don't you think he would have known this after the frogs, the flies, all these things coming at him? He would have known that. The blood, the boils. Well, what about the children? Pharaoh lost his son. The horrible deaths, surely they would have thought and known who God was by this time. But Pharaoh still had one thing left. I got one thing. One thing's left up my sleeve, right? Pharaoh had this awesome and legendary army. And he says, you know what? I'm going to show them. I'm going to show them who's boss because I have this army and they're going to go and they're going to get them. Now through all this, Pharaoh had been convinced enough on who God was to let the people go, but he was not converted to see who the one true living God was. He was convinced, but he was not converted. There was no sanctification there for him by everything that God had done. But God's going to show him his power over his military might. And God said this, and if you're taking notes, but I will gain glory for myself. God works everything for his glory. Everything in our lives that's going on, God is working it for his glory. And then in verse 5, it says this, When the king of Egypt, or Pharaoh, was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about then and said, What have we done? What have we done? Have we ever done that? Oh, Lord, what have I done? But he wasn't saying, oh, Lord, what have I done? He's looking at himself because now he's lost all his workforce. But he says, what have we done? We have let the Israelites go, and we have lost their service. Pharaoh had forgotten God. He forgot everything that God had already done. And now he's bitterly repenting his hasty decision. And that came from pride and a need for revenge. Does that drive us sometimes? Our pride get in the way and we want to have revenge. But the Lord says revenge is mine. So his workforce is gone. He's waking up, and he wants them back. And he's saying they're confused. They don't know what they're doing. Look what they're doing. They're stumbling around like lost sheep. Pharaoh had enough time to reflect on all this 
and he wanted them back. Well, the enemy always is roaming around looking to pursue us and devour us. And that's what Pharaoh was doing. He was keeping his eye looking at them just like the enemy does to each and every one of us. The one thing is that pride and revenge will doom Pharaoh. And it will doom us to destruction as well. And if you're taking notes, people who are prideful and arrogant are likely to fall. Proverbs 16, 18 says this, Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. And then in verse 6, it says this, So he had his chariots made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots along with all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. Now here they are. They're marching. What are they doing? They're rejoicing. Yes, we did it. Probably giving high fives to everybody. We've done it. Celebrating. Have they really done it? Have they done anything yet? Now Pharaoh's getting 600 of his best chariots, his guards. And then it says there were other chariots. So I looked at that. I was kind of interested why it said other chariots because it was more like um, the 600 were his best. They were the best. They were the most elite. Everything that they had because in these what these were is they would have three riders in them they would actually have a driver that would drive and then they were able to have two of them fight in mortars the other ones they just had two so they had like to wrap the reins around their waist and kind of fight as they're going along that's not a real good situation is it but that's who those were and he has all these people going out there. And I believe it was more like a shock and awe campaign. We all know what shock and awe is, right? We've all heard that term. Well, that's what Pharaoh's going to do. He's going to shock and awe these people. They're confused, and I'm going to confuse them more, and I'm going to take them. I'm going to bring my workforce back. But God. Pharaoh got his army together. And we're told that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. That was God's will being done. God hardened his heart so he could accomplish his purpose. And we know how the story ends. The evil turn of Pharaoh's heart turns back on himself, resulting in an empire-wide catastrophe. His whole army. God's will was being done. From a human perspective, sometimes when we read that, we say, it seems wrong for God to harden a person and then punish them as he's hardened them. But not really. In Romans 9.18, it says this, Therefore God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy and hardens whom he wants to harden. 
God did this for a reason because biblically speaking, we know in Romans 3.23 that we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? And then in Romans 6.23, what does it say? The wage of sin is death. That's what he deserved. Therefore, God's hardening and punishing his, him is not really unjust. It actually is merciful in comparison to what he really deserved. Because what he really deserved was death. That's what he deserved. But God didn't do that. God hardened his heart for his will to be done in his glory. And then in verse 9, it says this, The Egyptians, all the Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea near Pyrathon, opposite Baal Zephon. What was happening was a final showdown. This was a final showdown between our invincible God of Israel and the Egyptian Pharaoh. Between God and the Egyptian gods, small g's. Where force meets force, right? That's what Pharaoh thought. I'm going to show you who I am. And then God says, well, I'm going to show you who I am. The power of God against man. God had been demonstrating his awesome power, and they would indeed know who God was. He was the Lord. And he was the God over all of creation and the heavens and the earths. I am the Lord. And then in verse 10, it says this, As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They were terrified, probably because they left with no arms. They didn't have any way of defending themselves. They were completely defenseless. But what they did is they looked up. They only lifted their eyes high enough to see the problem. Do we do that? Do we only lift our eyes high enough to see this, the problem that's going on or the situation that's in front of us? Remember Peter. Remember Peter on the water? It's going pretty good. Kept his eyes where they were at. And then when he saw the strong winds and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. Jesus said, you have so little faith. Why do you doubt me? Through the storms, we need to know that he is the Lord and Lord of all and the Lord of all our circumstances. The next point is, lift your eyes high enough to see our protector, our Savior, and our Lord. Keep your eyes above the circumstances and look to our Lord for what's happening. And then in verse 11 it says, 
They said to Moses, was it because, was it because we were, there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us here to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone? Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Wow. What a comment. But at this crisis moment, instead of having faith, and God and what he's already done, his miraculous delivery out of Egypt already, they panicked and they turned to Moses. They turned on Moses. Do we do that? Do we turn on people when situations get tough? We turn on them. They were accusing him of bringing them out there to die. We would have been better off if you'd just left us alone. Do we question our current situations like that? Would we have been better off? Are we better off looking back to who we were in our sinful life instead of looking forward to what God has in store for each and every one of us? That's the question. Why would we look back? Why would we want to have that life that we had before? when God has so much more for us. As long as the Israelites kept their eyes on this fiery pillar and followed the Lord, they were walking by faith and no enemy could touch them. But when we lose sight of our Lord's presence in our lives, we become frightened and scared. For we walk by faith, not by sight in 2 Corinthians Lack of faith or unbelief has a way of erasing all the memories and all the demonstrations that we've seen of God's great power. That's what it was doing for them. But we know that God is faithful. He's faithful to us, and he will be faithful to his children. And he's faithful through his word. We live by his promises. When we take our eyes off of Jesus, we become frightened and lose sight of what really matters, and we begin to complain. Be aware of God's presence. Always look to Him. Not to the situations, not to the circumstances, but look for Him for direction and guidance and His faithfulness. If you're taking notes, I want to encourage you to take notes. Write this down. Focus on God's faithfulness in the past so we can face crises with confidence rather than fear and complaining. Trust God will, trusting God will spare us a lot of grief. It will spare us a lot of grief if we just trust God in his plan. And then in verse 13, Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance of the Lord. The Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today will never see again. Now Moses steps up. Moses is stepping up here, and he's aware of God's presence, and courage rose up out of him. And with confidence, he's telling them, stand firm. Stand firm. And some versions say, fear not. 
fear can sometimes actually make us act quickly. Have you done that? When something makes you fearful, you act quickly. You act real rash. Or other times, it can energize us to be paralyzed. We can act quickly or we can become paralyzed. Sometimes we can't get over our fears, but we can get above them. We may not get over them, but we can get above them by keeping our eyes focused on the Lord. We should be like Moses in his attitude to stand firm and see the deliverance of the Lord, the salvation that he's given us. Stand firm in his enabling. And what that means is he has the authority and the means to do something. He can and he will on our behalf. And the things that he will accomplish in our lives. And then verse 14 says, The Lord will fight for you. You will need only to be still. Only to be still. He's telling them, leave this to God. Leave this to God. Do we do this? Do we stand still in the expectations of what God's going to do? Because God's going to do it. Moses not only told them to stand firm, but now he's telling them to be still. Be still. How easy would it have been for them just to keep criticizing? None of this would have helped. But standing firm in Christ, his enabling, by being still, we have faith and expectation of what God is going to do. In Psalms 46.10, it says this, Be still and know that I'm God. Unbelief or lack of faith complains but faith obeys and brings glory to God. When we don't know what's going on, be still and know He's God. We exist for God. He does not exist for us. So be still and let God be God. God is so faithful when we think everything around us is falling apart. Be still and know that he's God and receive his comfort and his peace in this situation. And then verse 15, it says this, Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. <laughs> Telling them to move on. You say they're crying out. So they're praying. I don't think they're, they're whining. I think they're praying, right? They're praying, and praying is so vital in our lives. It's so important. But at some time, we need to stop praying, and we need to get moving, right? We need to move. Prayer is what they were doing. But what God's saying, he's saying, okay, look up, but now get up. Look up and get up. It's time for you to move. God wants them to move. And sometimes we know that 
we pray for guidance, and that's really good. But at other times, we use prayer as an excuse to postpone doing what we know we should be doing. So let's get moving. Just like we saw with Pastor Mackley. Let's get moving. Let's do it. For us, get moving is telling people, telling the lost about who Jesus Christ is. Telling the lost about the love of Christ, what he's done in our lives, and what he can do for them. He cleaned us. He cleansed us of our sins. And he can do that for them. Let's get moving. Let's tell the lost about what Jesus Christ can do. And then in verse 16, it says this. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide the water so the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so they will go after them. And I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. I am the Lord. God gets the glory. And God did these miracles because he wanted to keep on reminding his people of the deliverance of Israel. It was important for them to know and experience the power and presence, but it is more important that the world understands God's sovereignty. And that's what he was saying. I will put you in a bad situation of tough thought because I want to make myself known to the Egyptians. I am God in control of everything. And God gives us that strength and peace. Because when God does something that we can't do, when God moves a mountain, we know that's God that did it, right? We know when God moves in our lives. And He gets the glory. It's not anything we can do. It's God. Because He's the Lord. And He gets the glory through all this. And the Jewish people, for years to come, would measure everything by the demonstration of God's power at this exodus. But God, he had another purpose in mind, revealing once more, he wanted to reveal who he was and his power for his glory as he defeated the Egyptians. All the Egyptians will know that I am God. And then in verse 19, and I'm going to try to speed this up because I'm not going to make it. <laughs> then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from the front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Welcome to Calvary Chapel Sebastian Podcast. We hope that you're blessed by this message. I love seeing all you guys so... Excited to see each other. Welcome, everybody, uh, tonight and everyone listening on the podcast. Um, I just want to, before we begin, kind of just bring us into a recap because it's really going to set the pace of what we're talking about tonight. And what's really interesting is you got to think about when you walk through Scripture, put yourself in the people's 
sandals. I mean, that's just the only way you can do it, right? So these are the, the Jewish people. They walked out of Egypt. They have their Birkenstocks on, and this is what they're dealing with. And you have to look at it from that perspective. We can't look at it always from the perspective of like, we already know how the story is going to end. We already know like, hey, by the way, this is going to end great. You know, like this is not how they're looking at it. They're looking at it in the moment. And I just want to remind you, we have seen victory. We have seen the people of Israel after the plagues walk out of Egypt on the command of God, right? So after, you know, so much silence, so much uh, time with, with not seeing what maybe you would say, like, maybe God loves us. Well, we're locked in slavery. But now, guess what? The Lord is moving us. So what's the dialogue then, right? And then we move out into the desert and we cross um, the Sinai Peninsula and we get to the Red Sea. And then guess what? The Egyptians are right behind us. So it's like, Lord, why did you do all this amazing, miraculous stuff to bring us here? That's the question. And I think that's a question we probably ask ourselves all the time. Like, as soon as I can't find my keys in the morning, God, what's the point? What did you do this for? How dare you, Lord? This is like 8 o'clock in the morning. You know how I am before coffee. And, uh, you know, you can have them on, but you're not, you're not always thinking about where you came from. And so you're like, Lord, what are you going to do next? And the Lord's like, oh, why don't you just wait and see what I'm going to do next? Because who would have thought part the Red Sea? And I don't know if you know in, in that text, it's amazing because they walk through and it's like, I don't know if you've ever seen Prince of Egypt. That's like my favorite. If you've ever seen Prince of Egypt, like there's so many things going on there. Like in Prince of Egypt, or even in the text, as it were, you would see that the Egyptians are coming. And so the Jewish people would be resting at the seashore, right? And then they would look back and they would see like the rooster, like the dust of the Egyptians coming. And you could probably tell the size of that army and how angry they were by how that, that dust is flying. Like there's a lot of dudes and they're coming fast and I'm pretty sure they're angry. And so you're like, Lord, what now? And the Lord's like, I'm going to do this. But before he parts the Red Seas, what did he do? He moved his pillar of a cloud from in front of them to behind them, to protect them. And then he's doing that miracle. So there, just think about that, the presence of God moving to the rear to protect and then now making an escape. And then as they step through, um, I just like to do this because it's the Prince of Egypt. You see that lightning flash and you see the whale in the water. And you're just like, what am I even doing here? God, that's what you're doing here. And you're growing your faith and you're learning. And they step, and I don't know, in some of the texts it says they walked on dry land, which is amazing, which means when the wind came and split the Red Sea, it actually picked up the silt from the ground so there was no sinking sand. But isn't it interesting that when the Egyptians hit, they sunk in the sand? So there's not just the miracle of the pillar. It's not just a miracle of the water parting. It's the miracle of even the ground beneath their feet. God thinks of everything. And then they get to the other side, and you could only imagine how that must have felt, the people that subjugated you for so long, dedicated your babies to the Nile River and the crocodiles, the one that took away your straw, the one that beat you, the one that made life unbearable, and they're stuck in the sand. And I want to say this, who knows what that sounded like. It probably sounded like a lot of cursing of the Israelites, and then it probably sounded like cries for help. And then the Lord closed the water that these people were stuck in, and then I want you to put yourself in this place. Have you ever been at the beach when it's a nice, quiet day? All of that took place, and now it's serene. And this is at the feet of the Israelites. And in that one moment, could they claim the victory? I didn't have control of that pillar. I didn't have control over the ocean. It was really cool that God gave us that humpback whale shot. That was nice. I like that. I didn't have control even over the silt and the sand that was underneath my feet. And I don't have control of what's going to happen next. But you know what I'm going to do? Well, let's read it together. In Exodus chapter 15 tonight is where we'll be. 
will be in that place. And this is the response of those people who are living in that moment. And I love it because it's the most appropriate response. And we're going to find out what the value of this response is. And I think that's something that's going to be new because as I study this, I didn't always think of my, of my praise and worship life as this way. But Moses and Miriam are going to uh, pop that off for us because they're going to go like this, look, there's more than just worship. There's value to worship. If you look at the top, I don't know if you guys have it. I always love when they put little chapter titles in the Bible because it kind of gives you like a thing. Mine says the song of Moses and Miriam. Uh, I love how that starts. And it says, and then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. What else are you going to do? I mean, the quietness, maybe the seagulls are coming back in, the sea spray. Maybe it's just a, I don't know, in, when I grew up in South Florida, there'd be days when the ocean was just like a little lap at the edge, not these big waves or crashing or surf waves or anything. It was just, psh, psh, and you're just like, man, what did I just see? And so you see, and then, then Moses and the Israelites sang to the Lord. And so they saw the opposition eliminated, right? How? By God's power. To what end? For freedom. But what kind of freedom? The freedom to do what God's asked you to do. See, when you were in slavery, you weren't free to go walk to the promised land. But the Lord is about to break your chains. So what's he got to do? He's got to create that freedom. Are you going to worship him in that process? Look at the next part. It says, I will sing to the Lord for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver were, has hurled into the sea. He has hurled into the sea. Verse two, the Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. I love that the first part of this song is like, yeah, that's what he did. But let me just let you know something. The Lord is my strength. There's no other way to deny it. I mean, there's no other way to, to propel that information into, into the, just to the group. Look, the Lord is my strength. I can't fight the fact that I was helpless and God was like, that's okay. I got you. So my Lord is not only my strength, he's my everything, he's my defense. And I love to, when you look in Ephesians chapter six, for sake of time, we won't go there today, but if you read through the second half of Ephesians six, you will hear about the mighty power of God and what his plan is for you. God is salvation himself. He's not just the provision, it's him. It's him. I just think about this, it's like I saw this, uh, this family that was at Walmart the other day and uh, they, the dad was dressed like the kids, and they had the exact same clothes on. And the kids, like, the dad was just walking in like normal, but the kids were, like, so proud. Like, I look like dad. <laughs> Have you seen what I'm wearing today? They were, like, six. I don't know. They were, like, six and seven. But they were so proud of their clothes because their dad was wearing the exact same outfit. And uh, I just remember, like, the, someone said, aren't you cute? And they're like, we're not cute. We look like dad. <laughs> and I just think about that. They got blessed because they were walking and talking and doing life with, with, with dad. And what comes along with dad? Matching outfits. What comes along with Jesus Christ? Righteous robes. His righteous robes that he's going to share. So it's not so much about the provision. It's about who you are in relationship with. And that's what you're seeing here. In a relationship, your life becomes a part of that person's story and their story becomes a part of your life. It's interwoven and that's what God is calling us into. So when you see that word, the Lord is my strength, it's like the Lord is family. The Lord is my protector. It's not just something he does, it's who, how he feels. We are his children. If anybody were to raise up on my kid, you would find out real quick how much I identify with my boys. And that is what you're hearing here. Let's continue. It says, he is my God. So here's the verse. He's my God and I will praise him. My father's God and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's uh, officers 
are drowned in the Red Sea. The deep waters have covered them up. They sank to the depths like a stone. Your right hand, Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, Lord, shattered the enemy. Isn't it interesting how like at the beginning of service, we always do worship. Like that's unusual for any kind of an event. Uh, it's, it's not typical. Like, it's not like, you know, if you went to go to the movies, if I don't know if people even still go to the movies anymore, but like, if you go to the movies and somebody's like, um, I'm going to stand up and I'm going to sing a song before we watch the next Batman. And you're like, get that guy out of here. Like, what is he doing? And he's like, I just want to commemorate. I just want to remind us of how good Batman is. You're like, what is wrong with you? And then the only thing that I could think about that the only place I thought of was like, where do we do worship? Where do we just sing a song of what God is doing? And the only place I can think of is maybe a ball game. That's the only place that came to my mind that felt like kind of appropriate. And I was thinking about that when we sing the Star Spangled Banner. And I, I love it. As an American, it's a, it's, you know, obviously it's a great song, but it always gives, you know, you know when it gets to that crescendo, you know, the rocket's red glare. I'm not going to say, listen, you did enough worship. Uh, don't worry, you're not getting it from me. But when the rocket's, I still get goosebumps to this day thinking about like, yeah, we really took it to the British. Like we, I mean, we're, we're no longer, we don't have to pay tea tax anymore. Like I'm there, but it doesn't hit me that same way, the way that I think about, yeah, what did the Lord just do to me on the way to church? It doesn't hit me the same way that when I'm like, man, God just did something marvelous last week and I can't stop thinking about it. And so when I charge into here, I want to worship, right? I want to worship him because he's here. But not only I want to worship here is I turn around and I look and I see people's faces. They have something similar or different going on, but it's the same God. And I can tell like whatever I had going on, it's somewhat like this person sitting next to me and they're singing just as loud as me. Most likely better, but, but just as loud as me, probably to cover me up. But the point is, is that we are here because we are worshiping a God who is wholly taking care of us because he wholly loves us. Think about this. When he accepted you, when he called you, when he poured his love on you, when he died on the cross for you, he chose all of you. And now I have a worship song for that kind of person. Um, I want you to just kind of look at the way we walk through this door of worship together. Look, look at the beginning of verse 1 where it says, I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. I want you to look at this slide. Today you walked in here, and I don't know if you had a feeling, but you, you said this, I'm going to sing. I'm going to sing. I'm going to make a decision. And to who? To him. For he is worthy, and he is, by the way, the audience. Um, it wasn't just the worship music got loud and we did something we did. He was here. He is here. He's going to be here. And he's your audience. And then the next part, he is worthy. He is highly exalted. If you ever look at that word in the Bible, exalted, it's the highest form of reverence that you can pay someone. Like you could say, you know, someone's cool. You could say someone's great. You could say someone's legendary. But exalted is, I've hit the ceiling of praise. This person doesn't just like earn my reverence or my respect or my love. It's they've, just by the way they are, they demand it. He is exalted. So what does true worship look like? In this particular place, when we're looking at this recipe for worship, God is sitting and listening. That change how you worship. God listens and is honored by the love we express in the song. And you just think about this, as God is the audience, you're putting on the performance. So what are you bringing? And I want to just remind you about this, and this really challenges my heart, even when I'm at home or I'm in the shower and I think nobody can hear me and I'm off key. I just want to remind you, he knows your heart. So how do you worship the person who knows your heart? 
I would say you would have to do it in this very delicate place. You are worthy. That's where you would start. You are worthy and I'm going to decide to, to worship. No matter how I feel, no matter how I even feel about him, he is worthy. And I just want you to say about this, um, if you have this place in your notes tonight, and there is a place that you can say that God is worthy to be praised because of something he has done in your life, I would just ask if you want to write that in your notes somewhere. He is worthy to be praised because these are the things he did in my life. Just write that. That's where you've come from. That's where you're at right now. Now, you could say this, why would I decide to sing in the wilderness? Why would I decide to sing in a, in a dark place? Well, I'm going to put that on the screen. I'm glad you asked. I came prepared, and I have an answer for you. Uh, it's number one, it's a calibration of praise. Your praise might not always be awesome before you got here, or your praise not, might, might not be awesome the moment you cranked up the radio or you put on your favorite song, but you need to calibrate. And you know you need to calibrate because you might not be in that place where you're just like, I don't even, I don't even understand, Lord, right? You know, like, I don't know why you're putting me through this. I don't know why I left Egypt and I'm on my way to the promised land, but why am I stopping here? Or why, why did you do that for me? I'm not worthy I don't deserve it. Why did you do it? And you're like, well, I need to stop all that. I need to get my heart right. And that's why we start worship in the beginning. It's to calibrate. It's to get everybody on the same page before we enter into the throne room to receive. God is about to give, but what if your heart's not ready to receive? You need to know that you have to say to your heart, heart, get ready to receive. That's why David would say in the Psalms so many different times, he would go, hey, uh, soul, yo, soul, wake up. I don't care how you feel. This is God. Let's stand to attention. He deserves it. Let's get ready. Every time that I've doubted him, he's come across as faithful. So guess what? I'm not relying on my soul's feelings. I'm not relying on my depression. I'm not relying on my anxiety or my fear. What I'm relying on is who I know God to be. So I'm going to calibrate that praise. I want to put this uh, slide up for you for the calibration of praise. Um, if we can just go to that. So if you're looking at this and you're like, what in the world did Joey make when his spare time? Um, I thought that too. Jackie had to correct this a few times to get it the right way. Um, so it was worse than this, just so you know. But this is what I want to show you. So it says at the thing, the balance of my life should actually be out of balance. This is my thought. You should have heavy praise. Down here is complaining. You should have light complaining. You should have light complaining. These people have a lot of reason to be afraid if they don't have God. We're stuck in the desert. I have no idea where we're going. I don't even know what we're supposed to be saying. But you know what? I'm going to sing a song. I'm going to let you know there's plenty of times in my life that I've had to use worship to crush the complaining in my life. I've had to say to myself, self, we're going to worship the Lord until the negative thoughts go away. We're going to put on our hearts the worship that I hear in the Bible, the worship of David. We're going to put in all those other times where I felt great about God. I'm going to lead myself in worship. It's not just Rachel's job. It's my job because Rachel can't show up at my house. You know, you can try and hire her and she probably would do a great job, but you cannot rely on Rachel. You have to rely on you and your experience with God to go, you know what? I got to get back on track. And so this, if you want to know what's happening, he's crushing the complaining with his worship. That's why you can see down here, Little, little complaining, little complaining. Now, as we move forward and you go through the rest of the book of Exodus, you're going to kind of understand that even the Jewish people, as close as they are to God, don't get this right, do they? And I know it's over a course of 40 years, because if we took your 40 years, we could probably pick some highlights and some lowlights, right? But these are people that, well, do you always see worship or do you see complaining? Do you see worship or do you see complaining or do you see them maybe in balance? No, we want to be 
out of balance. We want to be heavy in the worship. We're going to continue with the calibration of praise because I want you to hear what the heart of worship uh, doesn't sound like. We're going to start there. Amos uh, chapter 5, 23 through 24, famous Amos and his cookies. Here's one of his cookies. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps, but let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. It's really easy to forget that we need to come correct when we come to the Lord. I want you to know when I walk into this, and I've had somebody say this to me, and it really has challenged me. Well, if you were thinking about as your time, as you walk in here, or maybe even at home, maybe you have a, a worship experience that you do at home, um, you're going into the throne room of God, right? Do you just come in with a song that's just whatever, yada, yada, yada? Or do you come in and go, Lord, I know I'm wrong. I know I'm sinful, but I know that the Lord, you, Jesus Christ, have poured out your blood on me and then made me pure and you made me holy. And so guess what? I'm putting on Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit and I'm stepping into worship. Because if not, listen to the Lord, away. Can you imagine? Can you imagine this little light of mine? And the Lord's like, ah, go. That's not from your heart, you know? But if you have that song that brings you to the throne room, cling to it. Cling to it. Let's look at the next part of the calibration of the heart of worship. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. God is talking about actual genuine worship. Sometimes I have to remind myself why I worship the Lord. Sometimes I have to remind myself who God is and why he is worthy to be praised because you know what? In my self-centered, selfish state, I want to go, yeah, but what have you done for me lately? And we're going to see that in the, well, in the wilderness, there's a lot of that, but we don't want to be that. We want to be the people that go, you know what? But Lord, but Lord, you've been so good to me. Jackie and I have a Google document um, that we have uh, all the things. Jackie's my wife, by the way. She's sitting over here. She was singing. Um, we have a Google document where we go back through time of all the good things that the Lord has done for us. And so at, when, I, when we first got married, it was like, you know, three or four things, and now we're like in the hundreds. But it's just like every little thing God's done. So what I do is I put the information at the top, right? You know, the newest thing that God's done. And then guess what? I get to go, every time I get into a crisis or every time I'm like in a dry place, I go back to this document. I don't go through all 160 or 200 things. I get through like two or three and I'm already worshiping God because I'm reminding myself of who he is. Remember that dad that wears the clothes the same that matches with the kids? I just know that the blessings that God is is the blessing he's going to adore me in because of his son, Jesus Christ. And that's where it is. And then we're going to go to the next part here where it says a sacrifice of praise. Look at Psalm 69, 30 through 31. Who better than, than David, right? I will praise God's name in song and glorify him with a thanksgiving. This will please the Lord more than an ox, more than a bull with its horns and its hooves. He's talking about actual sacrifice. So we can think about it as a Jewish person. What's higher than going to, you know, to Jerusalem and laying an animal on the altar and asking the Lord's like, your praise. In God's economy, in spiritual times of inflation, whatever you want to put on the value, guess what's the most important thing to God? Guess what's the most valuable thing to God more than anything? Praise. Your praise specifically. And let's think about this. You can decide how you want to honor God with your praise. You have that freedom to choose. Because I want to think about this. When um, every now and then Jackie and I like to go through like 
let, let's listen to all the songs of the 50s and the 60s and then the 70s and then the 80s. And it's just funny. And it's funny when you listen to like worldly music, you can hear so much of a value on the self, right? Or maybe on a loved one. So you can say this, can you honor yourself with worship? Yeah, you can. And can you honor sin with worship? Well, I would just challenge you to turn on any pop radio today. Are they honoring sin with their worship? But as for me and my house, we will praise the Lord, right? Because this is the God that has brought us this far. This is the God that is moving in his house. Just think about this. This is the same God that is standing on the shores of the Red Sea, is standing here in Sebastian, bringing about new praise. And then we're going to go to the next part here. Holy Spirit-filled worship is another reason why we do this. So first, it was a calibration, and then it was a sacrifice, right? But then it's also Holy Spirit-led. I want you to look at Ephesians 5, 18 through 19. It says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. So worship is Holy Spirit-led and Holy Spirit-driven. If we are a people that are of the Holy Spirit, then we should be a people of worship because the Lord inhabits our praise. But just think about this. Even if you don't know how to, the Lord will come into your heart and show you how. So your ability and your competency in music isn't an excuse because if you could get filled with the Holy Spirit, you can worship. I listened to a lot of missionaries, and I may have told this story before, but I heard of a story of a young man in Iran who gave his heart to the Lord, and he was like, Lord, I know I'm supposed to worship you, but I don't know how. And the Holy Spirit came into his heart and taught him songs of worship because he couldn't go online because they blocked all of Christian stuff. So he couldn't worship the Lord, but guess what? The Holy Spirit said, that's not a problem for me. How good you are on high notes or low notes, that's not a problem for me. Even your ability to remember, that's not a problem for me. I will inhabit your praise. I will lead you. In fact, it says here that I will be filling you. And I want to let you know, if you look at the beginning of that part, it says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. But look at the next part, instead. Isn't that kind of a weird verse? Like, whoa, Jesus, why are we talking about the, like, the drinking scene and then we're switching over to the Holy Spirit scene? And I would just want to put this out there, not to get too like crass in this way, but for you to get drunk, you would have to drink and then drink and then drink. But for the Holy Spirit, you need to step into the Holy Spirit. But I'm not that good. Okay, I'm going to step into him again. And you know what, Lord, let's worship again. And let's worship again until we are filled. And you want to drink that deep because that's your command and your calling. And so let's take our worship serious because it's the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And I want to let you know you're going to carry that for eternity. Now we're going to go through, now that I've set the stage for this worship, uh, we're going to go through the rest. We're going to read through the rest of their, of their stanzas as Miriam and Moses lead worship. It says, in the greatness of your majesty, in verse 7, you threw down those who opposed you. You unleashed your burning anger. It consumed them like stubble. By the blast of your nostrils, the water piled up, and the surging waters stood up like a wall. And I think this is such a weird word for me to say. The deep waters congealed. It seems so modern, doesn't it? It just seems like jello. You know, it's like the deep waters congealed. Maybe it did look like that. In the heart of the sea. And then in verse 9, the enemy boasted, I will pursue. I will overtake them. I will divide the spoils. I will gorge myself on them. I will draw my sword and my hand will destroy them. But you blew with your breath and the sea covered them. I just think of all that effort that Egypt did in chasing down the Israelites, but with a breath, God destroyed them. 
And they sank like lead in the, in the mighty waters. Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you? Majestic in, holy, awesome, in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders. You stretch out your hand and the earth swallows your enemies. Now look at this part. In your unfailing love, you led the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. The nations will hear and tremble. Anguish will grip the people of Philistia, and the chiefs of Edom will be terrified, and the leaders of Moab will be seized with trembling. There is prophecy starting to flow out. We just got done with the Egyptians, but we're saying God ain't done yet because we're on our way where? To his promises, the promised land. So guess what? Everybody that's in our way, get ready. Not for us, but God. In what? In his unfailing love. Look at that. The leaders of Moab will be seized with trembling. The, the people of Canaan will melt away. Terror and dread will fall on them. By the power of your arm, they will be as still as a stone until your people pass by, Lord, until the people you brought pass by. You will bring them in and plant them on a mountain of your inheritance, the place, Lord, you made for your dwelling, the sanctuary, Lord, you ha- your hand established. And I love this majestic conclusion to a song. Lord, the Lord reigns forever and ever, right? And so I just ask you this, is that how you approach your worship? That you uh, are on the side of a God that hasn't lost yet. He's undefeated. That's amazing, right? His church and his people. Has his church been defeated? No. I just want you to know, I, I read a, a thing, and I think it was in Martyr Magazine, and I'm, I, forgive me if I get the quote wrong, but it's like in India right now, there's a pursuit of Christians. Before, it was just Muslims and Hindus that were fighting. Now, Christians are being persecuted, and it was said that uh, one in 32 people before the persecution, one in 32 people were getting converted in India to Christianity, and since the per- persecution, one in four. Because the Lord reigns forever and ever, amen. And he will make the people still until his people pass by. That's, that's, that's the kind of song. It's a song of salvation. It's a song of transcendence, meaning like we used to be slaves, but now we're the people of God. And now we're the, we're the Bible. We're, we're the example of God. When, when the Holy Spirit falls down and protects his people, when the presence of God lands, what does it look like? It turns a tragic situation into the testimony of God, and that turns into a song. So praise is the affirmation that God is with us. God is in us and God is for us. And so I want to bring you to this place. There's three reasons that we're going to see here why worship is so great in the wilderness and why we need to have wilderness worship. Because you could say to yourself, Joey, I'm not standing on the Red Sea shores. I'm in a tough place. I'm, I'm waiting for my Red Sea moment. I'm waiting for the pharaohs of my life to get destroyed but I would just want to bring them to your mind. There is this place where you can reflect on God's goodness in the wilderness. Look at this. Praise God for being a God of war and peace. Now, I'm going to let you know, these, these three things that I put on the screen are very long, and you're like, goodness gracious, you put a paragraph on there. I don't want you to write all of it if that's not something you want to do, but I want, to write, want you to be like uh, presented the idea that God is both of these things. And maybe you need to hear tonight that God is both of these things in your life. So maybe you feel like God is being rough with you, but I want you to hear how God is in balance in both ways. Look at this. God is both war and peace, is he not? He is both destroyer and deliverer. Did he not just do that in one sitting, one chapter, chapter 14? God destroyed the sins and chains. 
Now, sometimes he destroys the sin and chains because it's outside of us, right? For them, the Israelis had the outside force of the Egyptians coming against them, right? But sometimes that force is inside of us. Sometimes we are our own pharaohs. Sometimes we are our own Egyptians. Sometimes our sin has chained us down and God is going, before I can move you to a place where you have the freedom to pursue the things that I need you to pursue, I need you to be delivered so I will destroy your sin. And you know what? Sometimes that means breaking your heart. Maybe that's sometimes removing a good thing that might be an idol. And uh, you know what? It's good that he shows. I'm, I'm going to tell you the most ridiculous story that I just remembered today. It was like the craziest thing. I was in Mrs. B. Her name was B. B-E-E uh, class in second grade. And this mom dropped off all of these glues. They were sparkly glues, sparkly glues. And for some reason, someone st- put stickers on the sparkly glues. Um, but they were like just matching colors. So if it was a purple, they put a grape sticker on there. So Mrs. B was standing at the door, and for whatever reason, she stepped outside to say something to mom, and we all looked at it, and we saw, you know, purple had a grape, and yellow had a banana, and we were like, oh my gosh, they made really new flavors for these glitter glue, right? And we're in there like, ah, we're just pouring glue all over our face and our hair, and, and then all of a sudden, one kid was like, this doesn't make me feel so good, and then... All Miss B had to do was go, what are you guys doing? And then one kid, you know, threw up, and then the next kid threw up, and then we're all, and then it was just a terrible scene. And I'll never forget how fast, this is Mrs. B, very proper, kind of like Mary Poppins, didn't very, hello, children. I mean, she just like parkoured over a desk and just, don't eat the glue. And she was like flipping the box, and she got real violent real fast, right? But then there was peace when there was no more glue for us to eat, Right? Sometimes God will come violently into your life to create peace. And you might not be eating sparkly glue, but you might have something else that the Lord needs to go, stop doing that. Stop doing that right now, you know? And uh, I will let you know, it's all part of his plan. It's all part of his plan. Look at verse 19. Continue, it says, when Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought the waters of the sea back over them and put the Israelites, but the Israelites walked through on the sea on dry ground. And then Miriam, the prophet, Aaron's sister, took a timbrel in her hand and all the women followed her with timbrels and dancing because they didn't want to be outdone by Moses. And Miriam sang to, sang to them, sing to the Lord, for he is ex- highly exalted, both horse and driver. He has hurled into the sea. And I just want to let you know, now worship is breaking out. It's not just Moses that's leading them in a new song. Tonight, you heard even uh, Rachel say, we're going to do a new song. It wasn't just a new song, and it wasn't just a relevant right now song. Miriam's like, okay, let's go. And now we have like a number one hit. Like the radio, like the new Israeli radio hits, and Miriam's going. And I want to remind you, she's breaking it down. Just you guys know, she's grabbing the timbrels and dancing. She's 90. Anybody over 90 in here today? I need to see some timbrels at home. I need the next time, next praise and worship, next word and worship night. You got to get moving because if Miriam the prophetess can do it, so can we. Um, That's why I want to remind you of this. This is one of the other reminders of why we need to praise God in the wilderness is that we never do worship alone because God is worthy to be praised because he's the great uniter of us to his family. Like when, when, like I said, when I came in here today, I felt united to people because we don't have the same issues or the same problems, but we have the same God doing the same thing. Building a new faith and doing a new thing inside of us and bringing us together. And guess what? It's like a family reunion. But it's also at the, at, at the, uh, the blessing of my own personal joy. So I'm receiving personal joy. You're receiving personal joy. We're looking at each other like, isn't he good? And that's what Miriam's doing right now. 
She's like, isn't he good? And then guess what? All the ladies are like, yeah, he's good. Give me, you know, give me that timbrel. You know, let's, let's go. So God is worshiped both as corporate leader and personal friend. Isn't that amazing? I can't get out of my own way. I can't fix my own problem. But God's in here blessing us as a church and then blessing us as, as individuals, nonstop, 24-7. So worship in the wilderness is never alone. And I don't know if you're in this room and you might feel alone. God doesn't think you're alone. God's ready to do worship. You just heard that the Holy Spirit's ready to do worship in you and through you. And so I just want to let you know, it brings immense joy to all of us when we see you worship, whoever you are that's not worshiping. It brings great affirmation to the family that you worship the Lord. I want you to look at this verse in John chapter 4. By the way, on the weekends, John chapter 4 is coming up, so you get a little spoiler here. It says, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers, remember genuine worship? True worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, not because they feel like it, not because they had a great day, not because they won the lottery, but because, guess what? They worship the Father. The kind of worship the Father seeks. Remember, God is your audience. God is spirit, and his worships must worship in spirit and in truth, and that is what these people are doing on the sea, shore, in front of the enemy that's been vanquished. And they're not talking just about the enemy being killed. They're talking about the heart of their father who has unfailing love. Verse 22. And then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea and they went into the desert of Shur. For th- I love that, right? The desert of Shur. Sure, sure, that's what he did. For three days they traveled into the desert without finding water. If he could control one water, could he control another water? Right? But this, think about this. Did the song fade? Did the song get a little bit less? Did day two, did someone like, all right, Miriam, it's hot out here. And when they came to the place called Merah, this is going to explain it to us, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. I love this little parenthetical if you have it in your, in your Bible. That's why they call it Merah, because it's bitter. Like, I love how they just put it are like, it's bitter. So guess what? The water's bitter. I'm bitter. We're going to call this place bitter. So did the song fade? I would say the song faded. But that's not because they're worshiping the heart of the Father because they know who he is. They're worshiping the moment. And guess what? The song is fading. And whenever you worship the moment, you will lose it. But when you worship the heart of the Father, you know how good he is and how much he saved you. You know how, how much he thinks about you. Zephaniah 3.7, he sings and dances over you. You will sing for what he's about to do. So the people grumbled against Moses saying, what are we to drink? And then Moses cried out to the Lord and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. And he threw it into the water, and the water became fit to drink. And so I just want to put this in your mind. Just think of what happened on the shore, and look how quickly it What have you done for me lately, God? You are my deliverer, and I have all deliverance from you, but that doesn't help me now, does it? It's the only thing that's going to help you now. And, it, you, you know, some people argue about this verse, like, did he do something miraculous? Like, he took this, 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 uh, this stick, and it had some kind of chemical properties, and he threw it in the water. And there is, there is proof of things that you can do that. You can take, like, certain leaves and run it through water, and you can filter the water. Uh, but I just want to remind you, it's so weird that God would choose a tree to sweeten the bitter waters. That's kind of think about this song, oh, for grace to trust him more. Grace. Wasn't it grace that pulled us into sweeter waters on the cross? Bitterness is complaining, but I want to let you know something. It's complaining with unbelief. 
How do you see the pillar move behind you? How do you see the waters part? How do you see the dry land and think he's going to leave you to die now? For this, this is going to be the end of your story, and then God bailed on them. No. He would come to you, and he would take those bitter waters, and he would make it sweet. Think about this, though. God knew what that worship meant on the seashore, knowing what three days later they were about to do. Come with their unbelief. I will let you know there's plenty of times where after Wednesday night service, by Saturday, I'm like, I need to get to church because I ain't right. And it has nothing to do with God. It has everything to do with me. And the Lord is saying here, but you know what? I will still press in. I will still have an answer ready for you. Even if it's just a chemical leaf or if it's a miraculous tree, I will change your heart from bitter to sweet because I am not that way. Just think about that. The Lord is pulling you to be more like him. He did not get bitter. Look at verse 26. He said, if you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I want you to think about everything they just saw in Egypt. I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. So sometimes we come to church and think we need a physical healing, but really we need a soul healing or a heart healing. And it's not really anything that we can hide from God or like pretend from God. He is seeking true worshipers who know for a fact that they need to calibrate their hearts, sacrifice their desires, and then move by the Holy Spirit into a deeper relationship with them. And it starts sometimes with worship. Sometimes it starts with getting your mind right. Sometimes it starts with getting your heart right because you can't see around the corner. It has been three days and you're dehydrated, maybe spiritually. And you're like, God, I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. And he's like, go ahead and worship. I'm about to do something amazing. I'm about to do something that people will not believe. I'm going to give you the kind of an experience that you'll just talk about for a lifetime. And like I said, I have that sheet of paper or that Google document where we go back through all the things that God's done for us. There's like 160. I think we are actually closer to 187 now. So we're on our way to 200. I can't get past three or four because the heart of the God. But look what he would give me even this conditional following. If you obey, if you obey, your health will be better. That's true for all of us. And so I want you to just look at this last part. Because worship is a response to God moving us forward. Praise God for his discipline and his rest. Praise God for his discipline and his rest. For God is both justice and mercy. God doesn't owe the Israelites anything. He blesses them. He blesses them with power. He blesses them with presence. He blesses them with love and salvation. Just think about that expectation. Lord, I, I didn't order sweet water. I wanted ginger ale. You don't deserve anything. Lord, I, I, wanted, I wanted it to be real comfortable the next three days. Well, I can look at your heart. I've examined it. I've tested it. And I can see you got issues. You don't have worship in your heart. The Lord's going to destroy your chains. And sometimes he has to destroy parts of your heart that are still locked into the old ways. Because remember that why it would be better for us to be back in Egypt. Really? Really? Are you kidding me? That's what I would say, knowing the end of the story. But in the moment, I'd be like, why would you leave? In the moment, I would be like, well, but Egypt, well, at least we had, I don't know, hummus or something. <laughs> I mean, uh, the Nile was right there. I could take a bath, I guess. I don't know. And then I was like, really? I'm taking you to the land flowing with milk and honey, but you know better. Because I don't know his heart. And that's some of the job of worship, is to bring us closer to his heart. Look at verse 27. And then they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs and 70 palms. And they camped there near the water and led by God from the place of salvation. 
and miracle through testing and into the land of promise and provision. Provision. Provision from his heart, not because he has something he's going to give you. I'm trying to get rid of these date palms. I'm trying to just, I have some water I'm trying to get rid of. No, no, no. I'm bringing you to a place of rest because I've shown you. I've shown you you. I've held the mirror up to you. You're a people that complains. You're a stiff-necked people. And I want to turn your bitter waters to sweet. And the only way that you can do that is if you allow me to come in with my spirit and change your heart. I want you to look at this verse. It's kind of interesting because it's a continuation of everything that they do on the shores of, uh, of the Red Sea in Exodus. Now we're in Isaiah. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord himself is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. This is actually a traditional song that has made its way through the book of Psalms and now into the book of Isaiah. And if you guys can, turn to Revelations 15. Revelations 15. I'm going to actually make you turn on this one. We're going to turn our Bibles together. I know. Get, get those thumbs working out. Revelations 15. How great is this, right? So we are in Exodus. Now we're in Revelations 15. You, you, you and your worship are part of a tradition that will last for eternity. Listen to this. Revelations 15, chapter 1. Revelation being the last book of the Bible. So you skip to the end there. It says, I saw in heaven another great and marvelous sign, seven angels with seven last plagues. Have you heard plagues before? Last because with God's wrath is completed, and I saw that what looked like a sea of glass glowing with fire and standing beside the sea, and those who had been victorious over the beast and its image and over the number of its name, they held harps given them by God. Is God into worship? Those are God-graded instruments. God's like, I made these. And sang the song of God's servant who? But then the lamb. So this is a continuation from Moses to Jesus to eternity. Look at the song. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are you, king of the nations, even the Ukraine who will not fear you, Lord, and bring glory to your name, for you alone are holy. All the nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. After this, I looked up and I saw, a heaven, I saw in heaven the temple. That is the tabernacle of the covenant law, and it was opened. Did you come to church today? Did you worship? Did you worship the same God that Moses worshiped? Did you worship the same God that David worshiped? Same God that Isaiah worshipped and the same God that we're going to worship together in heaven. This thing about Moses on one side of you, David on another side of you. And they're like, yeah, get ready, get ready. There's a church in heaven and the door is opening up and Jesus walks out. How are we going to praise? The same way we've always been praising. We're going to calibrate our hearts. We're going to give a sacrifice of praise. I imagine when we see Jesus face to face for the first time, it won't be hard. But then you know what's going to happen? The Holy Spirit is going to inhabit our praise and change us. Um, I'm just going to ask if Craig could come up. I'm going to ask if Rachel can come up as a sermon illustration. Rachel didn't know this, but she's getting blindsided. But so when she has that look, don't, you know, just forgive her. I want you to know that you are singing, even though if you sing a new song, you're singing the same song. The same song for eternity. So don't make any jokes. Don't make any groans or laughs. This man's going to rep- represent the Old Testament the Old Testament. Don't, don't make any jokes. Just, just look at him. It's the I, I have a little beard. It's a little like Jesus-like. I don't know. But uh, I'm going to represent the New Testament. And Rachel is going to represent... No. <laughs> cut, cut that out of the podcast. Cut that completely out of the podcast. 
Rachel is going to represent legitimately revelation and eternity moving forward. And I want you just, if you guys can see, if we could just hold hands for a second. I know it's really crazy to do this, but it's the same worship. It's always been the same worship. When you open up the Bible, it's worship of God. It's the worship that David's saying. It's the worship that Isaiah's saying. It's the worship that everybody's saying. And you, if you look and you look for that song, with the Lord is my salvation, the Lord is my strength, the Lord is my song, it shows up over and over and over again. Because guess what? When God shows up, everything changes. You were dead, now you're alive. You were lost, now you are found. You had no purpose, now you have a direction and it lasts for eternity. And guess what? You are the same. And God has never stopped being on mission from Eden all the way to the new Jerusalem that we have on the other side of of eternity. It is you and God in heaven forever. And he sings and dances over you and you and sing and dance for him because you know what? He is your audience. And he wants to be with you. And he wants good things for you. And one day, we will all be like this together. And it's just kind of amazing. Think about Miriam, 90 years old. I don't know why I was like, Miriam, 90 years old. (laughs) Moses, really old, 120. (laughs) And we're just dancing with our timbrels with them. And it's the same God. Um, I'm going to do this. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Give them a hand. I'm going to put up this last slide so you guys can see it, and then we're going to sing a song. I know I'm just going to hair over, but if you just stick with me. This brings us to our last point. Worship is the language of heaven, and salvation is our song. So worship is born out of truth and rescue and redemption. Just think about that, because that's who God is. He's never changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if you feel lost, I want to let you know the Lord doesn't want you to feel that way. He's coming to you to build a new song in you. And it's a song that's going to echo for eternity. It's the same song that Moses sang on the shores. It's the same song that you're going to sing when you get to the shores of heaven. That you are my Savior. So let's pray. And then I'm going to challenge you in this. If you have a reason to praise the Lord, praise him. If you have something that you've come out of, praise him. If you have something that you're inside of right now, praise him for what he's about to do in it. And then I want you to think about this. If there's a place he's taking you, and we all know where he's taking you, it's salvation, it's restoration, it's redemption, it's to put you back together, it's to make you more like him. I want you to praise him for what he's about to do. If he's taking you to heaven, praise him. If you're escaping hell, praise him. You have everything that you need him. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you. I thank you that you press into me even when I don't believe. I thank you when you don't um, put up with my shenanigans and break my heart from what breaks yours, but then you're right there to pour out grace and compassion and truth on me. I don't deserve it, and yet you are pouring and pouring and pouring on me. And yet that's who you are. That's your heart. You don't change. You don't sway. You be, you're the same. I might change. You don't change. And so, Lord, I thank you and I praise you for this time that I have unbelief. Help me in my unbelief. I have mountains in my life. Cast them in the ocean. Do what only you can do because I trust you. I trust your heart. I trust what you can do. And even though my heart might be breaking right now, Lord, I know that you are building a new song of me. Build that song of hope. I'm going to give you a sacrifice of praise. I'm going to stand in worship and I'm going to call on your name because that's what I'm going to decide to do because you are my Lord, my salvation, and my strength. In Jesus' name, we all said. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Sebastian podcast channel. If this message impacted your life, we encourage you to share it with a friend. We're located at 1251 Sebastian Boulevard, just northeast of intersection 90th Avenue and State Road 512 in Sebastian, Florida. 
Our service times are Saturday evening at 6 p.m., Sunday morning at 10.45 a.m., and Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m.